Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam or fake accounts. So, Ro. Today, we're talking about red dwarfs or M dwarfs? M dwarfs. M dwarfs. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what are M dwarfs? M dwarfs are uh, a spectral type of star um, that are very small stars. Okay. So, they're they're very small stars. If you if you want the more hardcore Dogen, mm. I suppose, then they they are a spectral type that are defined by strong titanium oxide absorption, um, which is seen in the the red end of the light spectrum that that the star gives out. Okay. The the red end, but the optical light. So they've got a fair amount of titanium oxide in them compared to other stars, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Because so I normally think of stars just as being all hydrogen all the time. Yes. But but no. Well, I'll let you in on the secret. Hmm. So do I. Okay. <laughs> so all of my models. Of, of stars that I work on. They're just hydrogen. And is that valid? Well, it depends what you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's valid for what I care about. Okay. Um, but stars are mostly hydrogen. Astronomers will describe anything that isn't hydrogen or helium as a metal. Yes, we have mentioned that shocking <laughs> Shocking <Definition>. fake news. <laughs> Stars also contain some of these other metals, i.e. things that aren't hydrogen and helium. Mm. And the amount of certain things that they contain varies between different types of stuff. Yes. But really, it's quite valid to just think of M-dwarfs as very small stars. Mm. Okay. Okay, so how small are we talking? Well, the biggest one's about 0.6 that of the sun, mass-wise. Okay, right, so... So, pretty small. Yeah. The smallest ones are about 0.08 solar masses. That's a big range. And that limit essentially comes from how big it needs to be in order to still be a star. Right, so below that, we do then have brown dwarfs. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. So, so, 8% of the sun is kind of the point where fusion actually starts. At that point, fusion because I care about level. stars, mm. I like to compare it to the sun. And so I know these numbers in terms of solar masses. Okay. Masses of the sun, whatever you want to think of it as. But really, when you're down at the lower end of 0.08 solar masses, you could equally well consider that mass in terms of Jupiter masses. Right, okay. You know, it's, yeah. it's going to be relatively big, but yeah. But it would be a, a number that makes sense to use, if you yeah. know what I mean. So they really are small 
especially, you know, the sun is, I guess, big. <laughs> but for a star, it's not really that big. Mm. I mean, if these are the smallest so, stars, or, or the set of the smallest stars, and the, the biggest ones are 60% of the sun, it's not... The sun isn't massive compared to that. Yeah, exactly. It's the same kind of... It's not really... It's obviously a notable difference, and there are physical consequences. Mm. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's it's still still kind of similar. Mm. So if they are smaller, and some of them are barely fusing, does that mean they're also cooler? Yes. Uh, that That is what they're literally described as in the <laughs> literature. Cool stars. Nice. Uh, you'll remember that conference? I, I remember you went cool to a Cool stars. stars conference. And I wasn't entirely sure like whether they had made that themselves to be like... Hey, this is the Cool Stars Conference. It's not like the other Stars Conference with the cool kids. Yeah. But um, but is that actually just a... Well, I don't know why they picked that. I mean, <laughs> I want to say, yeah, it's because it's all about cool stars as in cold stars. Mm. Um, but, I mean, when you look at the logos for these conferences over the years, it's like a... I'm, there's a couple of conferences that use cool stars and you know it'll be like a picture of the sun with sunglasses on or something and they're <laughs> okay. like oh this is so cringy i guess at least they don't have like a baseball cap um, on or something apologies to anyone listening wearing a baseball cap uh, i not, am not i am not a, a good indicator of what what cool fashion is um, no it's not even that it's just it's that cringe thing of trying to be like yeah we're cool yeah that, <laughs> i think that, that's it for me it's when you see kids tv and it's like hey what up we've we've got rapping going on and we've got caps on backwards and it's like i'm not even sure that was cool in the 90s <laughs> but sure thing so yes they are cool in the cold sense okay but you didn't go to the cold stars conference <laughs> Because that's a different kind of vibe, I guess. Yeah, I've never been to a cold stars conference, but there's still time, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Surface temperatures are about 2,000 to 4,000 degrees Kelvin. Okay, so that's... Um, that's pretty... At that point, it's not that far off 2,000 to 4,000 degrees C. Yeah. Which I guess is like four to 8,000 Fahrenheit, roughly. I trust your conversion. I think uh, you can pretty much um, double it when you get above a certain point. Not quite. So they're pretty cool. Yeah. A lot of stars are like, you know, 5,000, 6,000. Yeah. Um, and you get some that are considerably hotter than that. But, you know, it's um, it's definitely at the cold end of the spectrum for stars. Yeah, I mean, in furnaces, not even like particularly advanced furnaces, it's like, what, like, 1,200 Kelvin or something like that. So it's not that far off, like, mm, yeah. temperatures we can relatively easily make on Earth. I say relatively easily. <laughs> I could not do that, but um, but some people can. But some people have the skills, um, yeah. So these are, you know, like, not temperatures in the, the core of these stars, mm. but um, where temperatures that are used as as a way of comparing between mm. different stars. So I guess they're small, they're not that hot. That doesn't make it sound like we're going to be, you know, they're the brightest candles in the candle shop. Yes. The star that burns the brightest burns the fastest and all that. Yeah. Yes, M dwarfs are the opposite of that. Okay. They don't burn particularly brightly. Hmm. And they burn for a really long time. Okay. I use the word burn with a slight... Fuse. Cringe, but... Um, I mean... But, yeah, they, uh, they're they not that bright. You can't really see them with the naked eye. You need a telescope, really. They're pretty faint. Mm. Um, and because of their temperatures and... And things that are, they're easier to see at the more infrared side of the spectrum okay. of, of light 
than in optical. Right, because infrared is lower energy than visible, which is yeah. lower than UV and X-ray, etc. So we can see them at the lower end of the... Yeah, at the lower energy part of the light spectrum. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But they last a while then. If they're, if they're the opposite of the star that burns twice as hot, burns half as long. How many variations of that star? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Has anyone ever said star? I'm not sure. Is that... I don't know. God. Yes, they... I mean, they can't... There's a whole range of ages of them. Right, but, just, just as the whole range of masses. And... Yeah, but they can live a, a very long time. Okay. So... Stars that are, you know, lower in mass mm. tend to live a really long time. It takes them longer to evolve throughout their their different life stages. Okay. So if you had a star that's about 0.16 of a solar mass. Okay, so 16% of the sun. Yes, thank you. I'll let you do, <laughs> do that for me. Uh which is an M-dwarf, this would have its its main bit of life, its main sequence, for about 2.5 trillion years. Okay, and once it gets to the end of that, that's when the star starts dying, right? Yes, so stars go through life cycles where they are, you know, they're formed, they t- start to turn into a star, and once they have reached a certain point where they are no longer um, sucking up material from around it, Mm. which we call accreting. Nice. Once they are no longer accreting any material that's around them um, and they're fusing, you know, properly, Mm. then we say that this is, like, the beginning of their life as a star. Right, Okay. Um, so that's often called zero age main sequence. Mm. And at that point they go on to the main sequence, which is the main bit of their life. Mm. And when they get to the end of main sequence, that's kind of colloquially, that's kind of the end of their life. Right. That's them starting to die, if you like, uh, which often takes a very long time. <laughs> it's not like it happens very quickly. Yeah. Um, so for this star, this 16% mm. of the sun star that we're talking about, they'll be on main sequence for 2.5 trillion years. That's a long time. Which is a really long time. Again, that you know, American trillion. So and, yes. 10 to the 12? 10 to the 12, maybe. And then, um, after that, the next bit of their life, the first bit of their dying process. <laughs> right. The first bit of death. One foot <laughs> in the grave. Will last them five billion years. Okay. So compared to the main sequence a, a bit. Dwarf, Ooh, okay. Um, so the, so they're, they're in the main sequence. They're living their best life yeah. for two and a half trillion years. Yeah. And then it's only, what, five billion or so... Five million, sorry. Five five billion. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. so we've then like significantly less. We've gone from trillions to billions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Yeah. Just to see how many people were paying attention okay. to what I was saying. How old is the universe? Very old. I would say it's about the lifetime of the universe. <laughs> Plus or minus ten percent. Um Come on, you, you, the kiddo knows the answer to this question. Oh, jeez. Um, well, if a star, um, if it's going to be on the main... Is it is it trillions of years? No. Oh, okay, right. Um, uh, well, let's see. I was born in the 90s, so... Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are different... There are different estimates, but... It's not really... It's the order of magnitude that matters. Uh, we don't need exact, you know... Hundreds of billions of years. 
It's about 14 billion years old. 40, okay. It's, that's pretty young. When you use the word trillion, it kind of... So, this star... Mm. This 16% of the sun. Yeah. Mm. It's going to live for... Once it starts, it's going to live for two and a half trillion years. Yeah. And there's only been 14 billion. So, like, less than one thousandth of that time. So, even if the star started exactly the beginning of the universe... I'm guessing it didn't? Which it didn't. Okay. (laughs) You know, even if our hypothetical star did... Mm. It's like 0.1% of its life. Yeah. Already. It's still got a really, really long time. You weren't kidding about them being like... It's taking the the whole candle burden analogy to... Yeah, to the extreme, right? So, yes. Basically, because of this, there aren't... There aren't any M-dwarfs that are in the later stages of evolution. Right, okay. Because the universe just isn't old enough. So does that mean when you said that, oh, and then it'll take however long to become a blue dwarf, do we know what a blue dwarf is? Because I guess that means one doesn't exist yet. Correct. So we've just sort of... Not guessed, but you know what I mean? Like, there's no yes. evidence. We've just, I guess, taken it from other stars and been like, this is going to end up doing this. Yeah, so, I mean, there are... We know what other stars do. Mm. Some star... For some stars, that's more meaningful than others. Right, okay. So, if you, you know, if you look at what, like, an a massive O type star does or a massive B type star which if you've listened to our stellar classification uh, yeah then we might have mentioned them in a bit more detail I'm going to be honest I can't really remember because that feels like so long ago <laughs> uh, but we did talk about stars and it was O B A F G uh KM. Well done. Yes, uh, so we're talking about M dwarfs. Yeah. So they're at the lowest end. Mm-hmm. Right? It's biggest to smallest. Yeah. So O and B are the most massive. Yeah. They're the chunky boys. M is the smallest. Yeah. So you're saying that in the case of the biggest stars. Yeah. If you look at them. Yeah. And you say, oh, yeah, I know exactly how their entire life mm-hmm. works out. Mm-hmm. That's not really going to help you. Right, yeah, we're talking about talking cheese. You can't cheese. really, like, extrapolate that and yeah. say, oh, this is what M-dwarfs are going to do. But we do know about stars, you know, that are closer to M-dwarfs. Okay. That aren't that much more massive. Mm. Um, and you can take the whole list of letters that you read out. Yeah. And you can kind of say, some of these are high-mass stars... Mm-hmm. And some of these are low-mass stars. Right, okay. And so anything that's above, you know, like F and above, really, mm. that's a pretty high-mass star. Some of them much more than others. Right, yeah. If you've got a G, which is, the sun is a G type, a K or an M, mm. they're all low-mass stars. And... Whilst there is variation mm-hmm. between those different types, there are a lot of similarities right, yeah. of things that behaviours and characteristics that low-mass stars have or that high-mass stars have. And can you start to kind of draw a trend of like, oh, well, G is like the the biggest of the low-mass stars and it does something, but then K does something that's kind of related as it's smaller. It's a bit different, but it's... Similar. Yeah, I mean, a lot of their behaviour is really quite similar. Okay, you don't even need to, like, draw a line. So, basically, if you... What it comes down to is what the interior of the star is like. Okay. So, when we talked about the sun, we talked about all the different layers Mm -hmm. in the sun. 
So there was a core and a radiative and a convective zone working outwards. So if you have a high mass star, then you have your core and then you have a convective zone and you have a radiative zone on the outside. Okay. Uh, and, you know, you have other things, but the, the idea is that energy transports from the centre outwards okay. in that order. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you have a low mass star, then you typically <laughs> have a radiative zone on the inside and a convective zone on the outside. Okay. The convection on the outside gives you the granulation that you see on the sun. Yeah, that's the, you cook in your pasta sauce and the bubbles up on the top. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I say typically is that for some M dwarfs, they don't have a radiative zone. Is that like, they've got a radiative zone, which, which is zero thickness? Which we will come back to. Okay. But the point is that between high mass stars and low mass stars, energy is transported differently. Okay. Out from the star. And that influences How it a ages. lot of the behaviour. Um, okay, yeah. There's other stuff going on, but, you know. Um... So you can kind of think about low mass stars and you can kind of think about different spectral types mm. and get ideas about how low mass stars in general will behave. Yeah. So we've had, they're pretty small, they're pretty cold, they're cool, um, they're not very bright, they are going to outlast everybody. Yeah. Um, I guess They're most of them are, but uh, <laughs> yeah. They are very common when we look around us. Okay. They're the most common star. They are about 70% of the stars that we see. And okay. Possibly more. Because they're faint, you it's can't. difficult to see. Hmm. There is a plot out there Ooh. somewhere. I love a good plot. For people interested, um, which you might be able to find. Does it have a name? Uh, I don't know if it has a name, but it's relatively famous, so I feel like it might come up on Google. I suppose I could search for it. And it is a histogram. Okay. So it's basically the y-axis, the vertical axis, is number of stars. Number of observed stars, is it? Or... Yes, these are observations. And the horizontal axis, or x-axis, is like star mass, star star type. And there's a peak at lower lower stars. Interestingly, there's actually a little little bump. So you might think it would start... You might understandably Mm. think and scientists would agree with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it would start off at a maximum and then decrease. As so mass that, increases. Yeah, so that the more massive it is, the harder it, like, the less common it You've is. You've got to have the right amount of stuff there to make such a massive star in the first place. So. Exactly. And this is pretty much what we see. Okay. But not quite, because the, the lowest of the low... Mm. <laughs> are actually slightly less numerous than ones that are a little bit heavier, Mm. but still very low mass. Maybe there's something funky going on, but probably this is because the smaller it is, the fainter they get, the harder they are to see. Mm. And so it's probably a bias of our capabilities. Mm. So sampling issues. Um, Lower. Because, yeah, Yeah. you know, if you're trying to make something small, you need less stuff, so. So based on mass alone, is that why they're very common? Or do we have to worry about how we get there in the first place? You know, if we just have a little amount of stuff hanging around, we'll get an M-dwarf. Or do we need to worry about, they need to be the right conditions to make an M-dwarf? 
Yeah, so you... At the very beginning of the universe, well, I guess at the very beginning of the universe, there weren't any stars, but when stars started to form, we think that they were, like, all high-mass stars. Mm. There was a lot of stuff around, um, and so they would have formed into big stars. And that was, like, And that hydrogen. would have been pretty much all hydrogen. Okay. As time goes on, fast forward a whole bunch of time because we can't sit around waiting for the universe to happen. We'll be here mm-hmm. forever, literally. Um, and these stars that have gone through their life cycle have turned hydrogen into helium and also some other stuff. Okay. Some of the metals. Including the like metals that about. are metals. Including metals that that are actual metals, and some metals that aren't metals. Right, yes. And so then there's a whole bunch of stuff around that um, isn't just hydrogen. Right, yes. Given that M stars are a spectral type that have titanium oxide. Yeah, they've got a... They've definitely got stuff that's not just hydrogen Mm. um so probably weren't there at the beginning right yeah they're probably going to get more common as the universe ages as well because you need less stuff to make them yeah and as stuff starts to get further and further away Mm. because the universe is expanding it becomes increasingly difficult to make anything and therefore easier to make an M-dwarf than a big star. Yeah, yeah. Um, So you do need to worry about what's around, I guess, if you want to make M-dwarfs that we see. But they're still the most common things that we see. Yes. So we've bundled all of these different stars from, what, like 8% to 60% of the mass of the sun into one nice handy M-dwarf labelled bucket. Yes. So, does that mean that these all behave perfectly identically the same and are, you know, just wonderfully labelled? Yes. Okay. (laughs) No, no. no. I'm kidding. Right. (laughs) No. Why is that never the case? (laughs) Well, the fact that you need to ask yeah. <laughs> goes to show. Because humans <laughs> like to classify things mm. into a a box that makes sense for their current purposes. Yeah. And doesn't necessarily fit every purpose. Yes. Yeah, it fits my purpose right now. It's not gonna fit your purpose. Especially not if your purpose is gonna be like twenty, thirty, fifty years yeah. later. And that's not my problem. Not so. my problem. <laughs> yes. No, they don't all behave in exactly the same way. Okay. Um, but I think especially because M-dwarfs are at that... They're at the boundary. Right, yeah. They... Um, they find the box more difficult to stay in. Then yeah. if you picked a different star, you know, like a G or a, or whatever type star, mm. where it's more kind of mid-sized star, it's not like in terms of masses, but mm-hmm. in terms of the spectral types, it's, you know, it's more comfortable. Yeah. And so the difference between one end mm. and the other of... Of a G type, one the lowest G type you could get, and the more massive G type you could get, is not going to be as significant as something that is barely a star, yeah, and something that is definitely a star. much closer to being the mass of the sun, yeah, which I think people are pretty happy with being a star, yes. Yeah. So, this really is partly what makes them so interesting, I think. Okay, because they're not just. M-Dwarf, now that I know it's an M-Dwarf, I know exactly what's going on. Yeah. You 
don't, they don't behave like you want them to. I found this in my own research. You, you think, I have a bunch of M-dwarfs. That's great, they're all the same type of star. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put them on a plot and they're not going to do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, great, that's a trend. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole bunch down here that I just, like, no. 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 And then if you look at at the bunch that don't want to do what you want them to do, mm. that don't want to follow the trend that all the others are following, mm-hmm. it's probably because they're the lowest mass. Right, okay. <laughs> and the others are, like, comfortable that they're a star. Right, yes. And those ones, uh, I don't know, they've got some sort of imposter syndrome that they're not really a star, you know? Yeah, there's, like, a sliding scale of starness. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so what... as we mentioned earlier, okay, M dwarfs are a low mass star, so have their radiative zone inside and then the convective zone outside mm-hmm. of the core. So the convective zone is near the surface, and that's great. And then if you go to the smallest M-dwarf, they don't have a radiative zone. Right, so it's just like core than convective. Okay. So how they transport energy is different. Very different. So when we talked before about how high-mass stars and low-mass stars are different because they transport energy differently, you then find yourself in the same Right, yeah. There's now a different radiant. Also, age influences it as well. Okay. So, stars that are earlier in their life. Okay. Still, still M dwarf um, on main sequence, mm. but if if they're earlier in their life, then the energy transport is a bit different to when they're later in their life as well. So, okay. they don't really act. You know exactly the same mm. <laughs> as each other. They go through this kind of change. Yeah. Um, where the everything is just a little bit different. And and the magnetic fields change as well. Because partly because of all the motions. Right. Um, okay, because again, moving charged particles, magnetic fields is that kind of the you always manage to bring it back to magnetic fields. Yeah. I always bring it back to magnetic fields because I love them. But mm-hmm. yeah, so some of them have um, more complicated magnetic fields, and some of them have really simple magnetic fields. Right. So this is the difference between the classic bar magnet and something yeah. really scary. Yeah. Um. And how strong their fields are can also change so some have kind of stronger and more complicated magnetic fields and some have magnetic fields that are really simple in the sense that they're like a dipole bar magnet Mm. pretty much exactly and they're quite weak okay that's Um, odd and yeah these these ones can be a bit funky Mm. because without thinking about anything at all. I would just think small stars that are sort of just qualifying as stars, and a little bit more, but still like low on mm-hmm. the scale of stars, should be like relatively weak when it comes to everything. So like not much light, um not not much in the way of magnetic fields. I would just feel like everything is yeah, I mean, mostly the mostly the lowest mass ones are, are pretty weak and simple fields. But I just find it crazy that you can have but like sometimes a, sort of, such a big change <laughs> between between like that. Yeah, that just seems. Yeah, I mean, the the ones that have stronger fields aren't anything crazy because they're still 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 low mass stars. But yeah, there's a lot of variation that goes on in mm. M dwarfs. Um, because they're not really one 
cohesive group. Right, yeah. Is that is it? Because again, you're classifying something in a way that makes sense for mm. for some purposes, but it doesn't for all purposes. Is it related to um, how quickly they spin or something? No, it's more just how big they are. Okay. And therefore, what their interiors are, are like. Okay. I mean, how fast they spin is important, um, but rotation rate is often. Or can be a, a a proxy for how old something is, well, right. how old a star is, because stars um, are spinning at a certain rate, and then that starts to speed up because they're accreting, they're collecting material from around them, right, okay. and that gives them angular momentum, mm-hmm. gives them energy and speed, if you like, yeah. So they start to spin faster. And then they have a wind like the sun does, mm. and that's blowing material out all of the time away from the star. Mm-hmm. And over time, that means that then the star starts to slow down because yeah. it's losing energy and material, and it's you know, so it slows down until it reaches some point. And so you can kind of age something. From its rotation rate. Yeah, so that's that classic kind of uh, figure skating or any other spinny thing. So if you had like office chair when you're bored. Yeah, yeah. You you pull stuff if you're spinning, and you pull something in towards you. You speed up. Yeah. And that's when you're accreting. You're pulling stuff in towards you, and then you throw stuff out over time, and so you start to slow down. Because the thing you've just thrown out has taken some of your angular momentum with you. Yes. Kind of idea. It's taken some of your speed away so that it mm. can speed away. So they're all a bit... They, they've they all got their own little foibles. And they're all a bit different. Yeah. And they've got their own they character. They've got character. Uh, is that in any way related to why you won't let me call these red dwarfs? Do, um, is that a different term? Is that for like a no. subset of... Yeah, not really. Red dwarf is <laughs> is not really a well defined term. Right. Um, first of all, I am eternally irritated by the fact that that's what the Wikipedia page uses. <laughs> right. Okay. Because um, you're a true researcher, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I spend a lot of time on Wikipedia. Um, they have used it to mean M dwarf. Okay. I think, from what I can gather from mm. the page. But it isn't a well-defined term at all. It can be another name, but it can also mean all M-type and K-type stars. Right. Uh, and a K-dwarf or K-type star is slightly bigger than an M-dwarf. Right. So if you remember O B A F G K M. So okay. K is bigger than M dwarf, but smaller than the sun. Right. Um, Are we a K type? Who? The sun. No. We're a G. It's smaller than a sun, which is a G. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, so red dwarf can mean some things, including K and M. So red dwarf really means it's red okay. and it's a dwarf. And dwarf is small. Is it smaller than the sun or like? Yeah. Okay, and then you can then. I have seen some people talk about G dwarfs. Okay. Now I don't really know, like if that's a term. Like it's not not something I've seen very often. Mm. I don't know if they specifically mean like really small G stars. Why do oh, we need to oh, talk? What? It's not a common thing. But my point is, red dwarf just means it's red and it's small. Small. And stars go. It doesn't really mean anything. Right. Whereas a K dwarf is a K type star, which is small, which presumably is all K type stars. And an M dwarf yeah. is a small star, which is an M type, which again presumably is. So is it when we say M dwarf, is that actually specifying the type of dwarf star as opposed to 
specifying the type of M star, if you see what I mean. Like it's a M. Yes, so all M type stars star. are dwarfs. Yes. Yes. Because you could just say an, an M star. You could just say an M star or an M type star. Yeah, and some people do. Okay. Um. But most people don't. Okay. So we might have G dwarfs, we've got K dwarfs, M dwarfs, and they are all maybe possibly by some people called red dwarfs, and then below that we've got brown dwarfs, which don't count as stars, <laughs> unless yes. you like to count them as stars. Yes, brown, um, yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. So a G type star isn't a red dwarf. Okay. First of all, G-type stars like the sun are not red. Are they an orange dwarf? <laughs> yeah, they're yellowy-orange, aren't they? Okay. Uh, whether they're a dwarf or not, I guess, maybe that's dependent on who's talking. Because, mm. um, again, that's not really a, It's not like... That's not a well-defined term. Yeah. Um, so I guess you could use that... Or whatever you want, depending on your purposes. But that's why I don't like the term red dwarf. Okay, it just because it's not It doesn't useful. really mean anything. And not only does it not really mean anything, but different people use it to mean different things. So you read it and you... Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Do you think there's more... Although for... it does make me think of the TV show. Yeah, I was so. going to say, is that... Is, is it... Do people maybe want to keep that as a term more now that there's a, a TV show from the 90s? Um, yeah, possibly. So you said that they, they have magnetic fields that can be more crazy than you might think. And some of them are similar in size-ish almost to the sun. 60% of the sun. At the upper end, yeah, you're you're moving your head like <laughs> no, not really. I mean, what does that really mean? It's similar to the sun, yeah, in some ways, like everything's everything's relative, right? Mm. So yeah, and no. <laughs> but so, should we be expecting? You know, are these going to have coronal mass ejections or prominences or uh, sunspots yep. or any of these things, flares. All, the, all those things. All of them. That's just what stars do. All those things. Kind of. okay. okay. And can we expect planets around these things? Yeah. Yeah, we can definitely expect planets. Um, probably if you... I mean, I guess you don't need that much leftover stuff, but if you have an M dwarf, you probably start off in a region of space with less stuff right. than the bigger stars. So you're not expected to get a huge amount of planets. And they're probably going to be smaller as well. Not necessarily, you're not going to... You're unlikely to get an M dwarf with, like, five Jupiters going around it. Right, okay. Um, <laughs> because basically that's enough to add to make a proper star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, there are plenty known with with exoplanets. Um, ESO's harps. There's a harps north and a harps south. Okay. High accuracy radial velocity planet searcher. Harps. Okay. They published a study in 2012. Okay, 10 years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, which actually is quite a long time ago now. And it suggested that 40% um, of M-Dwarfs had super-Earths, which are 1 to 10 times the mass of Earth. Okay. Within the habitable zone. So 40% is relatively high. Yeah. But the same study found that less than 12% have heavy planets like Jupiter and Saturn. Right, okay, so it does seem to be skewed that way. And also, I guess what we were talking about before, especially with the exoplanets episode, it's easier to find larger planets. Yeah. So, well, if anything, yeah. anything you would expect to see it the opposite way around, if there was a sampling bias, if you know what I mean. Right, yeah, and that's why hot Jupiters, which is a term that probably a lot of people have heard. I've heard of that are one. Quite 
famous because they are Jupiter-like planets in that they're big gas giants mm. and they're hot, so they're close to the star. Mm. So they're, like, easy to spot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, yeah. like you were saying before, the nature of M dwarfs maybe means that we can't... We can't be completely happy with 40% and 12% as, like, super accurate values. Yeah. I mean, I don't know which point you feel... You start to feel like these things are super accurate. I don't know how many... You know, this was, like you say, this was, like, 10 years ago, so I don't know how many points they had in this study. It'll have been considerable because it's a large-scale study, Mm. but um, I don't know what it's like, you know, in comparison to now as well. Mm. Uh, Because they will have done lots of follow-up things. Harps is still going strong. You said north and south. What is this... Is this in space? Is this on Earth? Are there... What does the north and south mean? Uh, northern hemisphere and southern hemisphere. Okay. But because M-dwarfs are smaller, it's easier to find like a one-Earth-sized planet around an M-dwarf than it is to find it around a bigger star. Right. Because that Earth-sized planet passing in front of the star is blocking out yeah. considerably more light, more surface area than it would on a bigger star. Yeah. So... If you had, like... Uh, if you had a supermassive star and then Mercury went in front of it, that would be the same as, like, a bit of dirt in front of your telescope. Yeah. It's, like, a 1% thing, like, and it's probably noise. Whereas, like, a giant Jupiter, especially one close-up, a hot Jupiter, it's like, wow, I've just lost, like, 100% of the intensity coming from that star. Yeah. And in the case of M-dwarfs, <laughs> there's not that much intensity to start with, so... And they're quite small, so a little earth goes yeah. in front of it. It cuts off. In um, in the case of the light curvy. Yeah, point. so they, you know, these kind of planets, smaller planets are easier in that sense to find um, than they are on other stars. Um, but with that said, M dwarfs are very dim in the brightness sense. Mm. So it is difficult to know how representative these kinds of studies really are. Hmm. So are there any that we should know or already do know? Are there any um, any famous M-dwarfs? Well, we know of lots, but I think the most famous one is a Barnard's star. Barnard. Barnard. Like Barnard's like, castle. I was going to say exactly the same thing, like Barnard's castle. Which became... Um, very famous in the UK. Infamous. 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 Yeah, um, relatively recently. Um, but anywho. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you want to check your eyesight, you go to the star. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's the fourth closest star to us. Okay. Actually, that that we know of anyway. Um, What's the closest one? Well, Alpha Centauri. Okay. It's actually a trinary. Right, so when you say it's the fourth closest, it's basically the second closest, because the three closest stars are all in one place. Uh, I I mean, that is true, however, I would say that's a matter of opinion, <laughs> however you want to define it. It's true, but it's also really not true, because there are three stars over there. <laughs> <laughs> they just happen to be all next to each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's... It's relatively small. Okay. It's 0.14 solar masses. Okay, so 14% of the sun by mass. Yeah. Its radius is 0.2 solar radius, which equates to about twice the radius of Jupiter. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. Um, Right. Yeah. See, that makes it feel... I guess it's a volume thing, and it's like... Radius mm-hmm. and volume. There's a cubed relationship. Yeah. But when you say that a star is twice 
the radius of uh-huh. Jupiter, it feels like uh-huh. Jupiter's not that far off being a star, but okay. I mean, Jupiter is far off being a star, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like you should be able to have Jupiter in a picture next to a star uh, and sort of just be like, that's twice as big. I mean, it's not twice as big, but, you know, twice as wide. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. Okay. It's really old. It's about 10 billion years old. And you say that the universe is 14 billion. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, it's about twice as old as our sun. Okay. So it's possibly one of the oldest in our Milky Way. Like 10 billion years old. Right, okay. That said, it's, uh, it's not really that old for itself. <laughs> given that yes. our hypothetical star that we talked about earlier was 16% the mass of the sun rather than 14%. Mm. And that's going to live for about 2.5 trillion years. Right, and yeah. The star is 10 billion years. So it's like, it's a toddler at this point, if yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Whereas the sun is middle-aged. Yeah, right. It's just watching, every, I guess it's a bit like, other stars must be kind of like mayflies or something to it, you know? Mm. It's just like, here today, yeah. gone tomorrow. <laughs> Tragic. Oh, yeah. Um, You were asking about activity on other stars. Yeah. So we've observed flares coming from the star. That seems kind of crazy. Which is quite cool. Yeah, I mean, so we have observed flares on lots of other stars. Okay. It's not like it's specific to the star, but um, that is a fact about the star. We do know that that it is active. We know that it has flares and things like that. Okay. Um... It rotates about once every 130 days. Okay. Okay. So a third that's of a year. pretty slow. Um, for perspective, the sun takes about a month. Right. Yeah. About 28 days. So... A fair amount longer. Yeah, fair amount longer. It's rotating quite a lot slower than mm. our sun is. People have suggested that it has planets, but so far we've not actually found any conclusive evidence of that. People have, I think, um, you know, suggested it with evidence rather than just saying (laughs) it has planets. But it's been. It's always um, been found to be like that was like a an issue it's with the either data being or disproved something. or it'll have been just not replicated right yeah. and so it's then you know probably not a planet because a planet is always there mm. so you should always see it yeah um planet hunting is actually quite difficult i mean it, we we're very good at it mm-hmm. we've found lots of exoplanets now Over 5,000 that have been confirmed and thousands more that we haven't haven't yet confirmed. We haven't got two two bits of evidence for. Um, But, you know, as we've said before, it is really important to to be able to replicate the results because there can be lots of false positives. Things like the sunspots that you were talking about earlier Mm. um, or stellar activity in general can create similar things in the data. Something that blocks out the light a little bit, but it's actually a bit of the star, which is colder or more dense or something passing in front of it. And so it can look like there's a planet but then because stellar activity changes over time it's not a constant mm. if you go back and look again it won't necessarily be there mm. or it'll look different whereas if it was a planet it will always give you the same behavior again yeah. and again and again at a very predictable mm-hmm. 
you know, amount of time from yeah. the previous observation. It's not like the planet is going to go around, like, it's going to take a year to go around one year, and then it's going to take two years to go around the next time or something. It's like circular motion. Yes. So, M-Dwarfs. What a weird bunch. Yeah, they're pretty weird. Not red dwarfs. Well, they could be if you want, but... Not that long ago. So for any of our listeners that are not aware, I'm currently at the very end of writing my thesis. Mm. Uh, which feels like it's been the case for a long time. <laughs> mm. But life has made the last bit of my PhD take a lot longer than I thought mm. it was going to take. Um, and I truly am almost there now. I'm just waiting to get the edits back from my supervisor for my conclusion chapter. Jeez. And then after that, I'll have had a full first draft and then I'll have a full second draft ready for my supervisor to okay my changes and then I can submit it. So it's, it is, you know, almost there now. And it's been interesting because I've, you know, revisited stuff that I did literally five years ago. Mm. You know. That you'd forgotten that you'd done. Um, and really kind of, because it's taken me so long to to get to this stage, even though, like, I started writing a really, really long time ago. Mm. It's taken so long to get to this stage with the thesis that I've had a lot of time to reflect on it mm. and a lot of space to reflect on it and and the science that's gone into it. And if you'd asked me not that long ago, you know, are M dwarfs your favourite star, I would have been like, nah. Nah. Because there were bits of that project that just made me want to pull my hair out. Mm. <laughs> you know? Which is not fair, because that's not on them. But mm-hmm. but actually, I don't know. Like, I really do love stars that are similar to the sun precisely because they're similar to the sun. Mm. And I, like probably everyone on this planet, feel a bit emotionally invested in the sun, you know? I feel... It's quite important. I feel connected to it and interested in it. And it feels very significant to me, my Mm. experience of the universe. And therefore I care about other stars that are like the sun because I can learn a lot about what the sun would have been like when it was younger. Because mm-hmm. I specifically like young stars. Mm. Um, but equally, you can learn a lot about what it will be like when it's older, which is also interesting because mm-hmm. it feels connected to your life. But I do actually, as time has gone, I do feel like quite invested in M dwarfs as well now mm. because. There's so much variety. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in one spectral type, it, and it's you know, it's it's purely because of the way that we have classified it, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they are fascinating. I think there's also something about the fact that they are these. They're pushing the limits of what a star is. Yeah. But they're also going to be a star for the longest period of time mm-hmm. imaginable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, they're pushing the limits of what a star is on the right side of the boundary. Mm. You know, lots of people are fascinated by brown dwarfs, and um, which are the sometimes called failed stars. They're not quite big enough to be a star. They're too big to really be a planet like Jupiter, even though they're kind of they have similarities to planets like Jupiter. Mm. But they're too small to actually fuse hydrogen in the long term. Mm. So they make a bit of light and then they're just going to stop because they can't they don't, They can't sustain it. They don't make a chain reaction. It's that kind of... Yeah, they're just... The gravitational force is not strong enough to, to make the pressure mm-hmm. big enough. To, to sustain that reaction. So make they'll make some, but then it can't keep going. Yeah. The chain reaction eventually stops. 
Um, and lots of people are fascinated by them. And I'm mildly interested in them. You know? Mm-hmm. I just... I'm more interested in stars. So M dwarfs are like on the right side of that mm. of that boundary for me. Whilst, like you say, they're on the boundary, which is anything that is on the boundary of anything is interesting because that's yeah. where the magic happens. That's where yeah. the funky, weird stuff happens. Well, thank you for telling us about the funky, weird stuff. <laughs> I think we'll wrap up. Um, and see, well, talk to you next week. Yes. So that just about wraps things up for this episode. Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts, and if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show, and it makes it easier for more people to find us. Feel free to send us any comments, questions, or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye! Bye.